Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We're going to talk about the mechanics of a miracle today. And we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2 in verse number 9 where the Bible says, Wherefore God has also highly exalted Jesus, or exalted Him speaking of Jesus, given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think it's important for me to reiterate with you or repeat again that Jesus is the head of the church and we are His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. The next verse basically says, Now unto him that is able to exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So if we are filled with the fullness of God, then what kind of power is working in us? The power of God. And so the Bible says here in in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9 that God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name. So if he's the head of the church and we are the body and God exalted Jesus, once again, God is not going to separate the head from the body. He's going to exalt us too because we are connected to Him as the head and we are the body. That's why the Bible said that we are seated together with Christ in heavenly places far above all principalities, powers, mights, and dominions in every name that is named. So when the Bible said God has highly exalted Jesus and given Him a name which is above every name, then that teaches us that with His exaltation comes our exaltation. We are there with Him. Now, we are not above Him. He is the head. But we are seated with Him as His body, functioning with Him, partnering with Him, far above the working of the enemy. And then the Bible said that He's given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if He's given Him a name that is above every name, then that means there is no higher name. So we are the body of Christ connected to the head of the church who God has exalted and raised up and sit at His right hand giving Him His name and His power and His authority, which is far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named, and we are seated together there with Him, which means that we are residing, spiritually speaking, far above principalities and powers and mights and dominions. Then how come we have so much trouble? Because the church doesn't know, number one, who they are, and the church, number two, doesn't know their position in Christ, and number three, they have no clue the authority that they actually have just simply because of His name. We carry His name. 
which means we carry His authority. And then the Bible says here that uh, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. So I want to ask you this question. When we're fighting the enemy, how come we don't use the name of Jesus? We should bind in the name of Jesus. We should pray in the name of Jesus. We should bless in the name of Jesus. We should encourage in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We live our life. We receive God's favor in His name which means we are connected to His name. That name is what ties the head together with the body. That name is what identifies us. That name is where we have our authority and where we have our power. And then the Bible said, verse number 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that part there. Let's confess that right now together. Come on, say it with me. Say, let's say Jesus Christ is Lord, okay? Let's say it. Here we go. Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. All right, this time I want us to like shout it so the devil knows that we know it. Okay, are we ready? One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but when we did that, I could start feeling things start to break, spiritually speaking. In the spiritual realm, the name of Jesus represents power. It represents authority. It represents the finished work of Calvary. When we say the name Jesus Christ, when we say that name, the demons fear, tremble, and flee. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. It's a definition of the word Jesus. That very definition, Jehovah is salvation. Now I want to give you something to think about because I've been teaching you about healing. And I taught you, I think it was last week, because I study this stuff all the time. When I'm in a series, I study, and a lot of times my studies just overlap. But I think it was last week when I shared with you about the word sozo. It may have been the week before. The word sozo. Where the Bible says in Romans 10 and 9, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. And the word saved there is the word sozo, which also could have been translated healed. So it's the same word. Saved, healed. So we could have just as easily said, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be healed. Okay? So when we say that, then it kind of makes me think about this. If He is Jehovah, our salvation, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, but when He is Jehovah Rapha, our salvation, and the word sozo means saved or healed, then I have to ask myself the question, saved from what? If He is Jehovah, our salvation. If that's what the name Jesus means. Now Christ means the anointed one in His anointing. But Jehovah means Jehovah, but, but the word Jesus means Jehovah, our salvation. So we have to ask ourselves. Naturally, we automatically think about being saved from sin. And that is true. That is absolutely true. There's no error in that whatsoever. He saves us from our sin. He cleanses us. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers them against us no more. He is Jehovah, our salvation, the Savior of our souls, the Savior that saves us from our sin. 
But why does it have to stop at, sal at salvation? I'm talking about being saved from sin. If He is Jehovah our salvation, then what else did Calvary pay for? What else are we saved from? Could it be possible that we are saved from addiction? Could it be possible that we are saved from depression? Could it be possible that we are saved from sickness and disease and, and things like this? Could it be possible that He's made a path for us? He's made the way just like He made the path and the way for salvation for us to give our life to Christ. Could it be possible that when He, is, when he said His name is Jesus and that He is Jehovah our salvation, could it be possible that He's a big enough God for that to mean more than just the salvation of our souls? And when we say salvation of our souls, we understand that the soul is the seat of the mind and the will and the emotion. So when we say Jesus saved my soul, we're saying He saved my mind, He saved me from my own will, and He saved my emotions. So when He saves us from our sins, removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, remembers it against us no more, gives us a place of eternal life with Him. When He does that, then we rejoice. But we should also rejoice when He saves us from sickness, when He saves us from oppression, when He saves us from a disease, when He saves us from addiction. Because let me tell you something, Calvary covered all of that and more. Calvary covers it all. So when we say Jesus and we think of Jehovah our salvation, then what we need to do is we need to prayerfully go on a spiritual study journey through the Word of God to discover the things that Calvary paid for. And when we discover something else, we need to say, Lord, I receive. I receive freedom from that. Lord, I receive deliverance from that. Lord, I thank you for your healing. I thank you for salvation. I thank you, Lord, that you can move me into a better place. I thank you for your favor. I thank you for your blessing upon my life. So by its very definition, the name Jesus speaks about salvation. So when the Bible said that God's highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and then identified that name in verse number 10 when he said that at the name of Jesus, then what he was saying was that at the name of Jehovah our salvation, Jehovah our salvation, every knee should bow. So when we realize he's talking about Jehovah our salvation and then the next phrase is every knee should bow right there and every tongue should of things in heaven, things earth, things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, then we realize that in God's mind he's not just talking about the salvation of our souls. He is talking about that, but he's not just talking about that. And here's the point that I'm trying to make to you in this part of the message this morning. Could it be possible that Calvary means so much more than we understand? Could it be possible that there are things about Calvary and about the cross and about the blood and about the sacrifice of Jesus and about the resurrection of the Lord? Could it be possible that there are things that the church hasn't even tapped into yet? See, what happens is, and I don't, I don't want you to take this wrong, but as a church, and I'm talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ around the world, if we don't watch it, we get narrow-minded. We get tunnel vision. That's a better way to put it. We get tunnel vision, and we tend to focus on just a few topics, you know, sanctification, justification, redemption, things like that, atonement. 
and we just focus on those things, and we don't even have a correct understanding of all of that. When in reality, God is up there, and He's like, I have so much more. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has has done for those that love Him. My question to you today, my challenge to you today is sometime this week, ask the Lord to reveal something to you about Calvary that you didn't know was there. And then rejoice that He is Jehovah, your salvation. The Bible said in John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our life, our present and our future. Acts 4.12, the Bible said, There is no, there is, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So God's Word teaches us here that Jesus is the way to heaven, that Jesus is the way to God. So we have the definition of the name of Jesus, which means Jehovah our salvation, and we realize that God has exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, of things in heaven, things earth, things under the earth, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've established that out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. We understand that there is more to this than what we understand. We understand that God is all-revealing, that God can reveal more to us as we continue going on and growing in the Lord. Now let's talk a little bit about the price of that name because let me tell you something. Your salvation was not free. Your healing is not free. When God prospers you, because the Bible talks about God prospering us, when God, and there's times when finances come to us, but then there's times when that was God. And when God does that, that, you know, the Bible said that He became poor so that we might become rich. He became poor the same place He became sin, which was on the cross. So He paid the price for poverty so that we would have a way to walk if we so chose to try to trust God and believe God and get in God's system to help us in that area of our life, just like all the other areas of our life. So we see that, okay? But, that, but it wasn't free. The price of that name was sacrifice. The price of that power, the price of that authority was personal sacrifice. We find it in the verses preceding verses 9 through 11 where the Bible said in verse number 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. So we see that it cost him his life. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And then we see the next word, which is in verse number 9, which ties the exaltation of Jesus to the price of that exaltation when it says, Wherefore? Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name. So, wherefore, or 
because of this sacrifice, because of it, God has highly exalted him and given him that name. And the Bible tells us right there, and I didn't get into it in the first service because I didn't have time, but in verse 5 and 6, the Bible said, we are to let that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, which says, Lord, it's a mind of surrender. Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender my life. I surrender my will. I surrender my emotions. I surrender myself to the path that you have prepared for me to walk because of Calvary. And through that surrender, we are exalted with him into heavenly places in Christ Jesus and we operate under the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6. At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment was white as snow. I mean, get a picture of that. Why did the angel just sit on it? Why did he sit on the stone? Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. The angel rolls away the stone and then just sits down on it. Okay, let's watch this. Let's watch this. And then the Bible said, And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. They were slain in the spirit or they just passed out. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. You go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. So this was the exaltation of Jesus. So the price was Calvary. The price was surrender. The price was him becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus paid it all. We pray in the name of Jesus because that name carries the authority that is necessary. We can't pray in our own name. We pray in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. There's healing in that name. There's deliverance in that name. When we say there's healing in the name, think of the, uh, of, of the centurion of last, last week in Luke chapter 7 where the Bible said that the centurion came to Jesus and, and he said, my, my servant is laying at home and he's sick and, and, I, and, and I want him to be healed. And Jesus said, well, I'll just come to your house and heal him. And the centurion said, no, all you need to do is speak the word. And then he goes on this short dissertation about how that he understands authority because he's a per person that is in authority and under authority. And so he explained to Jesus that he understood authority and Jesus' response to all of those that, around, that was around said, I've not seen this, this great faith, no, not in Israel. And he spoke to the centurion and he said, Go your way as your faith is, so shall it be unto the centurion. And the Bible said that the centurion was made whole from that selfsame hour. So there's healing in the authority of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. The Bible said in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18, if they, if they laid hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, that they would recover. So we see healing in the name of Jesus. 
also shared with you about the blind man that got his miracle and then had been blind for some 40 years. And they asked him three different times, how did you get healed? And the Pharisees were upset because he was healed on the Sabbath day, which would have been a Saturday or the day of rest. And they asked him and he said, Jesus healed me and they couldn't accept that. Then they finally concluded that Jesus wasn't of God because He healed on the Sabbath. But did that change the blind man's eyes back to blind? No, 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 no. And so finally because he kept saying, well, Jesus healed me, they threw him out of the temple. Healed and all. Threw him out of the temple. Threw him out of the temple. Why? Because he kept saying that Jesus had healed him. There's power in the name of Jesus. And then we see here, that there's deliverance in the name of Jesus. Why do we use the name of Jesus? When we pray for people that are sick, when we pray for people that are, that are demon-possessed, that need deliverance, we pray in the name of Jesus. In, in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 41, let's go there. Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 41. You know, while you're turning there, just let me say this. There are at least six places in the Scriptures where we see that Jesus cast demons out of people. We call it exorcism. Some people call it the casting out of devils. I'll share a couple uh, of instances with it, uh, about that here in just a few moments, uh, personal experiences that I've had with that over the years. But in Luke chapter 4, verses 38 through 41, the Bible said that, that He arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. That was Jesus. And Simon's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought Him for her, and He stood over her, rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Last week I shared with you where the Bible said He reached out and touched her hand, and the fever left. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto Him, and He laid hands on every one of them and healed them. He healed them. The people they brought to Him, He healed and the Bible said, And devils came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And He, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that He was the Christ. Now let me just kind of go down a little track here. I want you to understand that when it comes to someone who is demon-possessed, first of all, discernment has to be at work. There is demonic oppression, there is demonic depression, and there is demonic possession. The oppression is when there's just a heaviness constantly. You're just, a, you know, you ever been around someone who they're just heavy all of the time? That's an oppression from the enemy. A depression is when the enemy is pressing against a child of God and trying every way in the world to break them. And he's pressing against them and pressing against them. And we have power over these things, by the way. And possession is when the enemy actually comes into an individual. And I think there's a whole lot of people around today, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and you'll, you'll hear me talk about this in a little bit probably, but, but there's a whole lot of people today, uh, we're busy trying to medicate the devil instead of, instead of cast the devil out. Now, there are people who need medical help, and I'm with that. I'm with, listen, doctors are partners with God in the healing of our bodies, and we need that. We need God to use us. We need God to allow God to use us. But demonic oppression, depression, possession is of Satan. And the devil can't stand it. He can't stand it when we start to expose his work. 
So that's why he fights the church. He doesn't want the church to talk about oppression. He doesn't want the church to talk about demonic depression. He doesn't want the church... It's one of those uncomfortable subjects. Don't be talking about possession. Don't be talking about those things. Let me tell you something. They're just as real as the person you see in the mirror when you get up in the morning. And the Bible said we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, which means we're not unlearned or uneducated about Satan's devices. It doesn't mean we're stupid. It means that we don't understand. We're not, we're, we have not been taught. So the Bible said that when Jesus showed up, they brought sick people to Him and He healed them. And the Bible said people that were possessed with the devil cried out, cried out. And look at verse number 41. Here's what the Bible says. Moreover, demons came out of the people shouting, You are the Son of God. Now look at Jesus' response to that. But He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew He was the Messiah. Rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew He was the Messiah. So many times... As spirit-filled Christians, we have conversations when the devil, with the devil when we should tell him just to hush up and come out. Gore, Oklahoma, at 17 years old, there was an individual. I, I've shared this here a time or two, but there's a lot of people who haven't heard it, so I'm going to share it with you. There were pews on both sides, middle aisle, about three-quarters of the way back. There was an individual. I got through preaching... I was 17, power of God had moved. I'd preached on, thank God I'm free. We'd had a great service, great worship, great altar time. People were in the altar seeking God. I was beginning my evangelistic, full-time evangelistic career. And uh, at the end of that service, nearing the end of the service, all of a sudden there was this shriek that came. I looked back, and I was sitting on the stage, and I looked back, and there was this, man that had fallen in the middle of the floor about three-quarters of the way back, he was slithering to the front like a snake. His eyes were rolled back in the top of his head. He's foaming at the mouth. Some of those dear, lovely saints who I respect to the core to this day gathered around him and for two hours that, that demon, those demons would screech, shake, talk to them, They'd talk back. Not one time did any of them tell them to shut up and just come out. And, for, and this is what I found out about helping people get free. If the devil can figure a way to wear you out and hopefully get you to give up, that's exactly what he'll do. And that's what was happening to those wonderful saints of God. I wasn't, there's no way in the world I would have disrespected them some of those were grandmas of the church and grandmas of, uh, grandpas of the church and they had been serving God longer than I had been living. So there was no way I was going to disrespect them, but I was just a spectator. I was just sitting there, just watching. Finally, after about two hours and a few of them giving up and everything, I just went back and I told them, I said, guys, because he was about maybe about an eighth of the way back or a quarter of the way back and he would come up like around, slither up around and then he would arch on his back and go back down the aisle and then come back up. And it was just the devil showing off is all it was. And so uh, finally I went down there and I told him, I said, guys, just back up. Let me try something here. I knew what needed to be done, but I just needed to respect them. And I said, if you'll back up, let me try something. I got down there, whispered in his ear immediately. He arched one time, 
Immediately the demons came out. His eyes came back to normal again. He quit foaming at the mouth. We prayed for him. He received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Within five minutes he was free and filled with the Holy Spirit. They asked me later, they said, Jonathan, what did you say to him? I said, I just whispered in his ear and said, Devil, this is Jonathan Vorse. I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I tell you, shut your mouth and come out. And that was it. And they said, well, how come? I said, because I let the devil know I knew who I was and I know who knew who God was. You do not have to have conversations with the devil when you're casting them out. You tell him to go, he's got to go in the name of Jesus. Here's what happens is a lot of times people say, devil, I command you to go in the name of Jesus and the devil will leave and he's hanging around and the Bible said that he's looking around for someone to go into because that's what happens, you know. That's why you got to have people in there and, and have the place covered with the blood of Jesus. But anyways, he'll hang around, he'll hang around and, and, and there'll be the people around that person will be like, wow. And all of a sudden somebody say, wow, I can't believe it. And as soon as they say, I can't believe it, the devil comes right back in. And then you got to get them free again. And that happens. That happens. Exorcism, possession. Exorcism, possession. Exorcism, possession. Happens over and over and over because people have been untrained and untaught in helping people get free from demons. We have power in the name of Jesus. We have authority in the name of Jesus. You have the power as a spirit-filled child of God to tell the devil what to do. And let me say this, when you tell him, he must obey you. He must obey you. So when you tell him to hush his mouth and leave, or his imps or demons to hush their mouth and leave, they have to leave. Donna and I hadn't been married very long. And um, she came home one day, or actually it wasn't home, I was, uh, it was the middle of the night, and... We'd had some things that had been happening and we were in a new house and you guys can think I'm weird if you want to. I really don't care. I love you. I'm going to love you whether you think I'm weird or not. But we were in a new house and there'd been a lot of history in that house. It was an old house and there'd been a lot of people living in that house, a lot of history in that house. One night I woke up because I sensed demon activity in that house. You remember? And, uh, and, and the Bible said that they'll roam around. And so I sensed de- demonic activity in that house. And I got up and I said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, get a broom and sweep them out. Which I thought was kind of funny because, you know, witches are supposed to ride brooms and stuff. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, so I grabbed a broom and here it is 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm taking authority in Jesus' name and I'm opening the door and I'm sweeping the place clean. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Donna come around the corner and she's all sleepy and everything. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sweeping the devil out of the house. She's like, okay, and she went back to bed. (laughs) But we didn't have any more problem after that, did we, Donna? We didn't have any more demonic activity after that. What are you saying? I'm saying you have authority over the power of the enemy. Now, the enemy will twist up your mind. He'll try to get crazy junk going on. I'll give you an example. When I first went to Jamaica, there's a church over there in Petersville, wonderful church, lovely people, and I love them, and they're still part of our church, one of our churches and all of that. And um, Pastor Murray, he's went home to be with the Lord. I, 
I asked him, I said, uh, I asked him one day, I said, uh, how old are you, Pastor Murray? And he said, well, I don't, I don't really know. And I said, uh, 90? He said, ah, probably older than that. And I said, uh, how, how old? Really, how old? He said, I really don't know. He said, I don't have a birth, you know. And he's speaking patois, so he's having to speak this through just to someone. And, and he just really didn't know. And so he's probably somewhere around the, and I'm not kidding, maybe around 100 years old or maybe in that area when he passed away. And this man had been in the ministry for years and years and years, but he couldn't read. He couldn't read. And it was so cute because he wanted us to bring him glasses all the time, but he couldn't read. <laughs> reading glasses. Not just glasses to sit, but reading glasses. But they made him look intelligent. So we brought him these glasses, and he liked to wear the robe, you know, and things like that. And just a precious, precious man of God. So it's about 12, 13 years ago, something like that. And I look around and there's little basins of water in all four corners of the sanctuary. And I'm sitting up there and I said, hey, Pastor Murray, I said, why do you have these basins of water in the four corners of the sanctuary? He said, well, he said, that's to appease the evil spirits so they'll leave us alone while we worship. I said, who taught you that? Well, you know, and went back and somebody had come through and some voodoo junk, you know, and all that. And I told him, I said, I want you to take those basins of water. I want you to dump the water out. Jesus has power over the power of the enemy and there's no way we have to appease the devil. The devil doesn't have to be appeased. He has to run and flee from us. And so they took and they dumped the water out and it's not, and to my knowledge, it's not been there anymore. Pastor Presley, pastor of the church, knows a wonderful man, love him dearly. And to my knowledge, it's not even there anymore. But the point that I'm trying to make is the devil will get you believing all kinds of junk. All kinds of junk. I was in Poplar, Montana. I, dear Lord, I'm starting to reminisce and, we're, and it's getting late. But I was in Poplar, Montana and I received this phone call. We were having a great revival. And I received this phone call and the pastor asked me, he said, would you please come? It was about 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, we're over at uh, one of our members' homes and here, and he's sitting there and there's all kinds of demonic activity going on in his house. And I said, okay, I'll come over. So I went over. I'm like maybe 20, 21 years old, something like that. It was pre-Donna, you know, before Donna. And so, uh, so there I am and I'm sitting there on the couch. He's got his shirt off. I'm sitting there on the couch He's sitting there. The missionaries are there, and it's the, uh, it's the uh, uh, reservation. And all of a sudden, the water just starts coming on and going off, coming on and going off. Then, then the windows start going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, like something you would see in a crazy movie or something, but that was, it was really happening. And I'm just sitting there, and, you know, I'm not impressed. I'm not. I'm not scared. I'm not impressed. I knew it was the devil. You know, and I said, devil, quit it. You know, and when I would say quit it, everything would stop like that. All of a sudden, he shrieked. Something hit him across his chest, threw him on the back of the couch, up against the couch, and there were claw marks that appeared on his chest. I said, that's it. I've had it. I'm done with you, devil. And I started looking around the room, and they had grass over each door. I said, what is that? They said, well, that keeps evil spirits away. I said, you think it's working? 
I said, I want you to get all of the witchcraft stuff out of here. I want you to throw it in the burning barrel in the back. God is my witness. They threw it in a fire. They didn't have a burning barrel, but they built a little fire. They threw that stuff in the fire, and you could hear wailing and screaming coming out of that fire. We prayed in the name of Jesus, told the devil, you hush up in Jesus' name. You get away from here. We plead the blood over this property. We command this place to be... To, for him to be made whole in the name of Jesus. He repented of his sins. He gave his heart back to the Lord because evidently he'd been in and out of church, in and out of church. Gave us, made a recommitment to the Lord. God filled him with the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of that revival, he was just rejoicing in the freedom that he had had. Why do you tell me this, Pastor? Because I want you to understand, first of all, that there's power in the name of Jesus over demonic forces. And number two, I want you to understand that demonic forces are just as real as Jesus is. They're just as real as the power of God is. There is a war that's going on in the world today against good and evil. I said it. Evil. There's evil everywhere you look. Evil is satanic influence everywhere that you look. As Christians, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. As Christians... We are part of the body of Christ who has been elevated above principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named. God did not elevate us there for us to just sit there and twiddle our little thumbs. He elevated us there so we would become warriors for God in a world that's lost and undone without Him. We need to take the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. And we need to take that authority and use it in the name of Jesus. So there is deliverance in the name of Jesus. And I could just continue going on and on and on and just tell you stories, but I've already went 37 minutes and I'm going to try to take about three more minutes and talk about this. Not only is there healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus, but there's life in His name. There's life in His name. Satan's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We have at least three biblical accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead. One of them had been dead four days. As I shared in the first service, some people says, well, Lazarus just recuperated in the grave. Well, if he would have recuperated, he would have smothered to death because of the way they wrapped him, they mummified him. There was no way for him to get free. If he would have recouped, he would have smothered. So he was dead. And his sister said, Jesus said, roll away the stone. And his sister said, Lord, by this time he stinks. Jesus is like, roll away the stone. Years and years ago, I preached a message that they still talk about in Kentucky called, Don't Let the Stink Stop You. Sometimes we don't want to do the work of the Lord because sometimes it gets messy. You know a good pastor if he smells like sheep. Man. Sometimes I come home and I smell like smoke. It's not because I've been smoking. It's because I've been hanging around some of y'all that smoke. But I wouldn't have it any other way. I love being around the sheep. Jesus came to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. I'm going to read you one more scripture. It's in 1 Peter 
chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. I love this. For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who's gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. What a powerful God we serve. What a powerful God we serve. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.